Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Josh. <laughs> I'm Dave, a.k.a. Jack Fizzle, Jack the Fluffer. And I'm Josh, and I'm fucking dying here. <laughs> and this is Does It Suck Now? Now. Now. I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. Hoo-wah, hoo-wah, hoo-wah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool cats and kittens. This week, we're bringing you 1996 Scream, directed by Wes Craven, starring, briefly, Drew Barrymore, um, the girl from Party of Five, some other people, and basically, just to sum up the movie briefly, it's a play on, it's supposed to be a whodunit mixed with a horror teenage film. And it's pretty much, I, actually, I really enjoyed it. So basically starts off with uh, Drew Barrymore getting a phone call and then dying. And Drew cool, Barrymore. Cool. There Drew you go. Barrymore. And Dave, it's a little criminal for you to gloss over and say just some other people when this is a 90s who's who of just awesome personalities from fine jamie kennedy is in it um and henry winkler is in it which is awesome matthew willards yes courtney cox yes dan from deadwood david arquette david arquette (laughs) um i think my brother was an extra in there somewhere um yeah mike definitely (laughs) I've seen those Jenkos. Um. <laughs> um, Liev Schreiber's in it for a minute. Yes, there That's you right. go. Yeah. Yeah. Two Entertainment Weekly once dubbed the greatest actor of his generation. Whoa. He's pulling it off with Ray Donovan. I'm telling you. Mm. Wait. Silence. Uh, never mind. I have so many questions <laughs> about that comment. I know. <laughs> well, I, I, wait, I just want to say, I did not say he's the greatest actor of his generation. Entertainment Weekly did. And oh, okay. I have never forgotten it. <laughs> they said that Liev Schreiber was the greatest actor of his generation. I think I that, think it's Entertainment like, Weekly is a magazine. I know what, what I, Entertainment Weekly is. <laughs> what? But what <laughs> did they? When did they say that? Oh, I don't know. Between Ray Donovan season five and six. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm, maybe after X Men. <laughs> all right hold on we have to get off Liv Shriver they literally have one shot of him in the back of a cop car in this movie that's it and it is it is a masterful shot it's like he's Ooh. just smoldering but other than that he's not in the movie well why don't you give us your haiku before we, we oh shit all right I don't like my haiku here we go the movie Scream starts stronger than this podcast does it's true it yes. does <laughs> <clears throat> but we've finished despite, all right yeah, here, here comes the yeah. haiku 
It's coming in. <laughs> Despite all the rules, my 90s were filled with sin. I'll be right back. <laughs> your your whole 90s solo? Uh, the latter half. It's not I mean, as good as the Robin Hood haiku. Yeah, the Robin Hood haiku. So it was Major League, I thought. But yeah. That's what I have. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sticking with it. This movie starts strong. Starts amazing. Uh, which I which I will agree with. The first scene with Drew Barrymore is uh not I feel like that is what I have remembered from this movie all these years later. And rightfully so, because the rest of this movie is uh, not so good. Well, <laughs> the the opening's <laughs> iconic. That's I think that like we can use that word without any like reservation on that. It's an iconic opening set piece to the movie my i i even wrote down in my notes it is it is in 2020 the most iconic horror movie scene period every generation knows it the young the old it is probably the this movie was the bridge between old school horror and modern horror this is the movie that like revitalized the genre and because of that that scene is the most iconic horror movie scene ever period bam say it i don't know ever but well, definitely for the '90s. I don't know. I bet. I bet you Solo's right in terms of like people who've seen it and influence ripple across like movie making. Uh, I kind of like. I don't know if I 100% agree, but I don't think you can just say Solo's wrong. It might. He might be right. I didn't say he was wrong. I I said I don't think it's the most iconic in history. I pick something like the shower murder scene from Psycho. It's like yeah. the, the most influential. I think it is incredibly influential. I'll bet you seventy five percent of Gen Zers have don't know what that is. I'm saying it's more I- iconic than uh, Eisenstein's Balsha Potemkin when the scene where the baby goes down the steps. I think you're <laughs> right. I don't think that's an exaggeration. All the people okay, you're, you got worship- me. All right, I'm exaggerating a little. No, I don't think you are. I bet you more people have seen and been influenced by Scream. Than have seen him been influenced by Battleship Potemkin or Psycho. Uh, maybe not Psycho, but I would say maybe maybe Battleship Potemkin at this point in time. Yeah, nobody even remembers the Untouchables, which is probably the the most popular version of that scene, and or, and that movie is long and dead buried. Like I don't think young people are watching the Untouchables um, right now. It's like maybe I, I don't know. I'm kind of warming up to this idea. Yeah, they just know Kevin Costner from Robin Hood. Right. <laughs> Maybe after uh, The Irishman came out, people had a little resurgence of mob movies. So maybe. I mean, I like The Untouchables, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, we have to understand that, you know, the younger generation, thankfully, isn't going to grow up just blanketly worshiping and quoting the same great things that our generation might or the generation before might. Like, Psycho, you know, Psycho is going to be forgotten at some point, too. And Scream will still be yeah. there, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm all in. I made the statement. I just feel like... And what's great about it is the biggest actor probably in the movie at the time chose to do that role, apparently, according to the fun facts, because she liked it better. She was originally casted for Sydney. You're talking about Drew Barrymore. Yes. Drew Barrymore was originally casted for Sydney, And she read the script. She was like, no, I want to play this girl that gets killed in the first scene. And they're like, okay. And they like shot it in 10 days and that was it. Was this and, her like comeback? I vaguely remember 
people talking about Drew Barrymore as if this was like a comeback for her, even though, yes, I know she's only in that, you know, those first, that first scene, but that, and then I wonder if there was another like Henry Winkler comeback attached to this <laughs> as well. I think it was, it was Henry Winkler was the surprise comeback. Cause like, what else was he in before this prior to like happy days? And he's gone on to have a good career post screen, especially yeah. like on Arrested Development and Parks and Rec. But I think and... Joe Barrymore was pretty huge in '96, right? She was already massive as a star. So to like have I... her get gutted and hung from a tree in the first scene is pretty awesome from a horror movie standpoint. By the way, I have a technical question: How fast can someone cut someone's guts to fully fall out the way that happened to Steve? Yeah. That light is off for like a second and a half. <laughs> I, know. I was like, and his entire insides are out. I was like, "Damn, Steve! Shit!" <laughs> Steve, Steve knows what's coming when when she's like going um when she like goes to turn off the lights or whatever. He's like, "No, don't, don't do it! Don't do it!" I should have well, I should have stayed with Sydney. <laughs> so I want to I want to know. All right, I I I came up with this theory that Billy, played by Skeet Ulrich doesn't do any of the first bunch of killings that we see. Ooh. I think he did kill Sydney's mom. He killed Sydney's mom, not Stu. But I think Stu does the first like three or four killings that we see in the movie. And I have, I have, I have, uh, everything's fine. I have information. I have, uh, I have info to back up my claim. Okay. Wow. Wait, Sprague, before you get into it, I just want to make one statement before you get into it. This is going to be super interesting because I literally have the exact opposite note. Oh, yes. Okay, I good. Am, I All am right, fairly so. certain you're 100% wrong, but please continue. Maybe, but here's, <laughs> here's what I say. Okay, so I think Stu did it because a lot of things. When they're, when they're hanging out the next day after the opening scene, Stu is acting very like, I just did some shit that I'm keeping a secret. He keeps cracking jokes. He's making puns about killing people. Um, and and Billy is a little like off put by that. And he also brags about how strong he is. He says like um, it would take a really strong man to put to ha- like string a girl up like that. And he's like flexing. Then in uh, um, in the police station, <laughs> both uh, in the police station when Billy gets arrested. Um, I think that was Billy there that night, clearly by himself, I think too. But Billy gets arrested and he looked at the cop and he says, I didn't kill anyone. And I just, I don't know. I just believe him. Like he, what he means is like, I didn't kill anybody recently. <laughs> um, and then, and then in the video store, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, where um, Stu and Jamie Candy's character are talking. Uh, he keeps like, he keeps making these face every time Randy's like, 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 look at Billy. He's got the face of a killer. And every time he turns around, Stu's like mugging it up. Like, wait, that's what you think a killer looks like? Like, I'm the one who does all the killing. So that's my that's my uh, theory that <laughs> Stu does most of the killing in the beginning of the movie. Okay. Well, I think there's some foreshadowing in that scene for sure because, like, we know the ending now. But I also love how Wes Craven really did a great job with with the writer, kind of going like. It's everybody. We're just going to keep using this trope over and over again and make you just keep thinking something. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen. I was like, you don't think so? I want to, I want, wait, let's, let's solo refute. Yeah. Because it's easy. The the first murder, right. 
um, whatever her name is, Stacy and Steve. <laughs> Skeet is the one that's out. The next Billy. scene in this. Oh, that's right. Billy Skeet interchangeable. The next the scene, he's Johnny climbing Depp. Sydney's window. He immediately right. goes from killing the woman yeah. and then drops but the outfit. But listen, skeet, skeet, skeet. They, the next day, <laughs> but he's already Stu, out. Stu, Stu talks about how he couldn't have no. Jamie Candy is like, uh-uh. are you the killer? Stu's Stop. like, there's a movie. No, wait, on. He says he's at it's, his There's a quote. There's a line. Did. They both did no. it. No, Randy says, yes. Stu, it was you. And <laughs> Stu says, no, I was busy last night. And then Rose so McGowan Billy. makes a joke. No. Billy was busy. <laughs> Rose too. McGowan was says, yeah, he was with me. He was right. banging and Rose Billy McGowan. With, and Billy was with Sydney. It's They both went afterwards to their girlfriend's houses because they watch a lot of movies and think that that would be a passable alibi. And because every teenager in this entire town, for some reason, talks like a second-year film student. By the well, way, Ken say, Williamson wrote it, it. Yeah, they all talk like <laughs> they're on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But, uh, right. but I all right. It, Except it was written by the by guy Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. Yeah. yeah. Dawson's Creek guy. It's but, just, but I think great show. I don't think they they would have done. <laughs> I didn't get the impression that they could have pulled off those killings without the other one. Like they were just a duo to the end because of the way that right but who stabbed i just mean like literally who stabbed and then at the end publicly like together they're not both there in the bathroom at school though or at the fucking liquor store which is yeah but he doesn't he doesn't have a knife in the bathroom at school which is hint number one he just has his bare hands he just tries to like grab her but I like Sarah's theory that they're always both there for every murder. That would be bad. I think they're plan. I agree, Sarah. I think their plan is to always do that. But I think they unravel a little bit and it gets sloppy. And so sometimes they're just getting like opportunistic and they're like, it'd be wild if I killed somebody at school. And so I think they're like, I read into it that maybe that is their plan from the beginning, that they're going to do it all together. And that's how they make it look like they're in two places at once. But uh, I think they get sloppy. So like when they kill the Fonz, it's like that sloppy when they kill the when they kill the Fonz. He's like, hey, actually, th- that was a really funny scene because uh, Henry Winkler kind of does like a melt stuff. He goes like, <laughs> 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 but he also gave an ode to the Fonz because the Fonz's black jacket is actually in the closet when he opens it. And then he, and then that scene where, same scene where he goes into the bathroom and he stops for a second and he checks his hair. And I was like, hey, jump the shark. (laughs) I I like some of the, some of the jokey meta stuff I thought was still funny. And some of it was a little like, like try hard feeling, but it didn't feel like that at the time. It was a little dated uh, uh, because, I mean, this was like one of the things when I was, I watch a lot of these movies with like a surprise ending or a twist, especially from the nineties, like your sixth sense or what was it? Memento movies like that, where, where you go back and you look at them and, and you wonder if it's like really a good movie after you Memento's know, it's not a good movie. Uh, yeah. I kind of felt like I knew it was, it was, you know, Billy and, and, you know, poor man's Johnny Depp and, and, uh, and, uh, what's his Matthew name? Lillard. Dude, Matthew Lillard. I feel like I, I, I national like, treasure. I couldn't stop thinking yeah. that, oh, it's like, this is them. It, it was like almost distracting in a way watching it this time around. I'm still going to, I'm still going to go with though, the peer, the pacing of it was actually good for me to be able to actually watch the whole movie. 
because some of the other ones we have picked, there's a certain point where I'm like, just pause it. I'm going to go take a <laughs> shit and come back to this because <laughs> like, like Prince, right, of well, Prince of Thieves is a, days, is a very okay? special, special, <laughs> awfully long movie. <laughs> like, I don't think that you can't hold it but to that standard edition. And you guys, were, yeah. Well, you guys were like, it's just an extra 15 minutes. And I was like, really? Really? I thought it was like an extra hour of footage. <laughs> it's like a sweet spot. Like somehow, yeah. if you can really wrap things up in under like an hour and a half, and this is a really good example of that, then it, it doesn't matter what it is. It still holds your attention. I can't. I just, Brevity is good. You know, like there's, there's, there's scenes where they're like, oh my God, this is boring. What do we do? And they're like, let's throw in a shot of the dude in the background. And they do that like two or three consecutive scenes in the row. They're like, oh, blah, 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 talking, talking. Oh, he's in the bushes. We're like, oh, blah, 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 talking, talking. Oh my God, he's in the freezer at the liquor store. And then you're just... I don't know. I disagree. I think there's not even much of a plot in the movie, really. It's like, oh, there, Drew Barrymore gets killed. It gets revealed about Nev Campbell's mom. Then he calls her. They go to school. Then they go to the party. And that's the whole movie. Like, it's really, yeah. really like, four or five scenes the whole second act is exposition because the opening act is all like terror and then like some brief character introductions then it's just like information dump for like the course of like multiple scenes yeah and just work getting to the end like the ending is the biggest information dump in the history of dumps i mean they really it was like oh okay so you you literally are making a movie where the killers kind of don't have a motive and you're telling us that that's what you're doing. And I don't know, part of it was like, oh yeah, I do remember why this is kind of fun at the time. I do agree. They did that have a motive. Hind- yeah, that's, that's they the did thing, have a motive. They all they didn't have a motive. Not, yeah, he did. His, he, his mom was sleeping, or Sydney's mom no, was, that's was Billy. sleeping with- Matthew Lillard didn't really have a motive. He said pure. Yes, dude, and that's one of the greatest lines <laughs> of the movie. He's, he's like dripping blood out of his mouth as he's like bleeding to death. And she's like, What's your motive, Stu? He's like, Oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. I'm going to rip you up, you bitch. Sure. <laughs> we haven't like, studied yet, but he's amazing in this movie. Yeah. Matthew Willard he's so is fucking good in this, movie. in this movie. He just, just, he just like rips it up. It's great. Yeah. And I do like how much they did a kind of like two real once again i'm going to use that like buster keaton physical comedy horror thing with how much all the female victims kick the shit out of the guy trying to like (laughs) kill them and but i had one moment where i was like you keep knocking him down jump on his arms ground and pound just finish it off (laughs) finish them off (laughs) what they got the ghost or the what they call it the the ghost face killer (laughs) <laughs> Ghostface killer gets hit in the nuts at least twice. I was really looking for like clues after the opening scene when they first introduced Billy and Stu. I wanted to see if either of them was walking funny because one of them <laughs> gets nailed in the fucking balls by Drew Barrymore's character in the beginning of the movie, just like hard. And I was oh, like, yeah. that could, I was like, are they giving us clues? But they don't. They just kind of keep it at like, uh, we're gonna give you fake outs all movie about who the killer is and like little like. Like they show you the boots of the police officer. Henry yeah. Winkler has this like scene with the scissors where he's like, like looks like he's like carving a deer on those kids' sweaters, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and there's a couple other things too where they like make you think any of these are the dad. You think it might be the dad for a little while. Um, 
I think they do a pretty good job of playing with it. When Billy drops the cell phone early in the movie, mm. I think that's a really ballsy choice in the storytelling to to have him drop the cell phone to be like, well, that clearly means he's the killer, but why would they make it that easy so early in the movie? And then he is the killer. I thought that was really great. And they, they say in the movie that like that that really dated it for me. They were just like, why would he have a cell phone? There's like a long line. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not just Mike. It's not just cell phone. It's cellular phone. Yeah, like, and they, they, they pronounce the entire word every time they make reference to it. Nobody calls it a yeah. cell phone. Everybody's, I mean, that's a rich town. I mean, they're just like, why does he have a cellular phone? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is very 96. And by the way, <laughs> Courtney Cox and Rose McGowan, <laughs> those two, <laughs> those two in the movie are like, literally, Emily and I were both looking at the screen, we're like, they're hot in this. Whoa. Like, I couldn't Man. believe that Courtney Cox was pulling off like a bright lime green dress thingy i was like okay all right yeah she's one of the better parts of this movie too actually yeah she's really good i mean i think everybody's really good in this movie all the actors all the performances are pretty i mean steve ulrich is a little out of his league but he does a decent enough job uh everybody else i think does nev campbell's great no i don't think nev campbell's great great. she she did as good as she could she's a great (laughs) listener she always looks like she's listening to people. I like that. She has that like she has those like rabbit teeth that she's always like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She always goes like, Ooh, Ooh, and it was like a little distracting. Ninety six me was very excited to see a movie that had Nev Campbell and Drew Barrymore in it, and two thousand twenty me is still excited to watch a movie with Nev Campbell and Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I will say, you guys were talking about Drew Barrymore. This was like a comeback movie for her. She hit. She. I look. I was just looking it up. She'd done the Amy Fisher story and <laughs> and Poison Ivy or po- right Poison Ivy, which were both like Tom Skerritt. The like they were like the, they ended her career in the early nineties. Back, back ah. off of Poison Ivy, Miss. That movie is fantastic. When was when was the one with and Chris that, O'Donnell though? That movie came out. Sarah, right when was the one with Chris O'Donnell? That was a huge hit. So this was so that was like a love. huge, crazy, crazy love with a was a big hit. It had that Bonnie Raitt song yeah. in it. Yeah, was well, that is that the, the one with cover. um with with Robin to, Oca- O'Donnell? Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. And Drew Barrymore brawless the entire movie. I'm not. I'm not proud of myself that I know that. I just want to. Mad Love was a was a big movie for me. In the, in the <laughs> maybe we'll do that in yeah. a subsequent week Boys oh but just so like most horror movies right should we touch upon the fact that what makes this especially awesome and genre bending is its self-awareness as a horror movie yeah, I, know well, I think that was like the first but that was like the first time that a movie like that was this big of a hit in my opinion in my in my 15 year old memory banks where you were yeah, like, I mean, but oh. that's that's why this movie is iconic because you're like, oh, it's you know. I it's don't broken. argue that it's not iconic, Josh. I totally believe it's. Very oh no, iconic. no, no, no! I'm not. I'm not still hung up on the first scene thing because I'm obviously right. But what I'm saying is <laughs> about, <laughs> about the movie in general, like why it's Model. you know why it sticks out, why we chose to do it for this podcast is because of the fact that it's like. You know, was really, Wes Craven has a cameo as the janitor. He does. He pulls like yeah, a that's not Wes Craven. That's Robert Eng- England. Isn't no, it? it's Wes Craven. Oh, uh, it's Wes Craven. Yeah, but they right, do right. like a nod to Freddy Krueger when they when he says, "Hey, right. whatever the Fred the janitor." Yeah, 
He's wearing yeah, the sweater. There's like, but there's like, yeah, like that there's was a little moments joke. like that peppered all over the movie, and that's why. Yeah, and that's why it's... it got annoying at points. But that was a, that was a, one of the funny jokes. Is any of Rose McGowan's '90s fashion coming back because the kids are into like '90s fashion again? Because I was like, that's good. I, that's I could see that coming back. The like, that's, a, that's a great question for a bunch of forty-year-old men. Let me let me feel well, that two one. Two of which do live in Brooklyn. And you see people. No, the costume design was really good in the movie. I I was distracted by Courtney Cox highlights the whole movie. Which <laughs> Her hair was something. Thinking about at the time. Um, but I remember Josh Sprague was talking in the last podcast about starting to follow film criticism and like uh-huh. uh, TV fit critics, like whatever that last movie was that you guys did. Uh, Major League. Robin Hood or no, Major that was about League. Robin Hood. But uh, I remember when Scream yeah. came out, that was like a really big thing because everyone was like, oh, it's like the writer of Dawson's Creek and like Wes Craven, this like horror master and this like TV writer. And they're going to come together and they're going to make this like ultimate like teen horror movie that's also like really ironic and it's going to be really meta and everyone's going to love it. So it was like really hyped and Entertainment Weekly like talked all about it. Um, and then it came out and it was really good and we loved it. And I remember seeing it in the theater like five or six times whenever that, whenever it came out that summer. Wow. But, and then it, I don't know. And that, I, I just don't, I don't know what happened in the last like 25 or 30 years since it's come out. It, it's just kind of, it spawned all those sequels and all this time passed and it just feels so dated now to me. I don't know. Well, we know where you did that summer then. I, oh. So I can come up with the, the three, the three movie, three scenes I can think of that had the same like impact of an, of this movie's opening on an audience. I mean, Jaws is like the all time classic one, but I mean that like I've seen in person were the opening of Blade, the first Blade, where everybody was just like, fuck yeah. At the end of that scene, like every single person in the audience was a thousand percent on board with that movie or you fucking hated movies. And the other one was, um, the, the, 28 weeks later the second of those movies oh, zombie yeah, where yeah. Oh, robert carlisle abandons his family in the house oh. and like runs to the river and gets in the boat and that movie i saw with like as a preview um with a bunch of like drunk like hipsters at the time all like packing this theater to see this movie and nobody expected it to be good everybody was like fired up like ready to make fun of this movie it wasn't the same director it was gonna be terrible and that movie shut everybody the fuck up a minute and a half into the movie and nobody talked for like 20 straight there was not a sound in the theater for 20 straight minutes and i think scream had that same effect people were dead silent except when they screamed during that that opening and it's i just love that you don't get that very often wow. only with battlefield earth <laughs> the ending of battlefield earth is up there when he's like right. suckers <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bowfinger, like, we should do Bowfinger. <laughs> like like every horror movie, I tried to start keeping track of the terrible decisions that people made that got them killed. And I just stopped around 11. There weren't that many. Was, what? Really? Are you kidding me? There were six in the first Wait, scene. Wait, what did somebody do that like was like <laughs> in the first scene? There were six I mean, in she, the first scene. She's like, in a giant glass house. 
by herself. She's a teenage girl. I mean, she, she does defend herself. She fights and oh, she tries to she get out. She says at least once or twice that she's going to hang up and call 911, but she never does. Oh, wait. <laughs> she, no, no. In, in When they shot the movie, did you guys see that little trivia thing? So she does try to make a call to 911, but in real life, when they were shooting, they forgot to unplug the phone. So she actually dialed 911 and was screaming and all this stuff. And the operator was like, can I help you? <laughs> and they had to stop shooting and explain like, no, 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 we're shooting a movie. We're sorry. <laughs> I think the parents coming home is generally like horrifying in a completely unironic way. I thought it was so overdramatic. I, dude, you know, well, it says the one guy with no kids. <laughs> it's like generally horrifying. What, yeah, I don't have a heart? <laughs> No, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> I thought it was really like the scene. It's so effective when like he punctures her lung and she can't even call out to them. That's fucking terrifying. That's good horror filmmaking. I think that's yeah, taking you can't scream in your dreams like when something bad is happening. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I get that. It, I thought the way though it jumped into that ultra over dramatic tone of the whole thing. I was like about to just be like, I don't know if I can watch the rest of this movie. And then I actually enjoyed the rest of it once I kind of like remembered what the movie was, that it was all spoofy, you know, and oh, okay. I think that Wes Craven is like that first scene really shows what a good director Wes Craven is and what a good horror director he is. But it's like, I feel like this movie really um, does like a complete 180 because I felt like after that scene, I wasn't scared, you know? Like, I didn't feel like it was as scary. There were some, like, gruesome parts, but, you know, there was, like, Fonz's goofy death. There was, like, the whole scene at the end, which which almost, like, turns into, com- like, straight comedy. Like, there, yeah. there's a, the yeah. moment when Matthew Lillard dies. He dies, you know, death by stereo, death by TV. It was, like, kind of, I felt yeah. like that was so over the top. It was, like, these guys watch horror movies, and then their their brains are so warped, and then he gets his just come up ins because a TV kills him because of the same thing that made him. But it's funny. I don't think, I think the intent is to like, have you, have you think that I don't think they're, I don't think they're thinking like, we got this deep metaphor where the, the psychopath who watches too many movies gets killed by a TV. I think they're just like, this shit will be hilarious if he gets killed by a TV. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. It's, it's like straight comedy by the end where, where I think I remember in the 90s seeing this movie and being genuinely scared and being right. like, oh wow this really has some good tension and after this viewing um after the drew barrymore scene which i, I still think really holds up i was just like completely not scared because i was like almost distracted by the goofy dialogue which was yeah. happening when everything was like hey are you going to like the better than ezra concerts the everything <laughs> well and here's to just before we end this one I wrote, um, you couldn't do that with a flat screen, meaning you need to have a you need to have a tube TV to smash his head in because it was heavy. The other thing that I'm gonna address real quick with your point is that basically it's it was so done, so popular that it's been done and done and done right. and done one way or down. another. Right. Yeah. So by the time we're coming back to it almost 20 years later, we get it. You know, you know what I mean? It's like watching the craft holds up, though. Do you think the craft holds up? Oh, I don't know. That's don't a good know. one. I, that's another the craftsmanship. One. I think it does. I think Wes Craven is 
He, it's almost like. Oh, I thought you like, meant the movie, he, The Craft. No, 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 no. sorry. I, meant, <laughs> I see is, how that, that was confusing. Now, uh, witches. The, the, and the everybody was so enthusiastic to be like, "Yes, it totally holds up." Was I totally love witches. Also? Yeah, um, he was. Yeah. So, not what I was thinking, but my bad. <laughs> the craftsmanship of the movie, I think, really holds up because to me, it's like Wes Craven was was part I of. I agree with that. He was part of writing the film language of these kind of movies. Right. John Carpenter and, you know, a few other guys I'm not thinking of, but they're the two obvious ones. And, um, Raimi, and, Evil Dead. Right. Well, Raimi was like 10 years later, but yeah, but, but Raimi wrote up like a horror film language too, his own self. Wes Craven helped invent this film language that was then assimilated by multiple generations of filmmakers who all who made popular movies. And to me, this was like him coming back on his own invention, but not looking at it through his original lens, but looking at it through what the kids did with it. So he's like playing with all of the tricks that people have built off of his own work in this movie. And I just felt like that's enjoyable. Like all of the, the playing he does with like the background and how much space is either in front of or behind the character's face goes a long way towards building attention in this movie and also for creating kind of a disorientation that like the Friday thir- 13th movies would always try and do with like these weird cuts to like the woods there where you couldn't focus on things or the camera's moving. And I'm not trying to say the Friday 13th movies are art, but I think Wes Craven saw what these other directors would do with his vocabulary. And he was like, all right, I'm going to play with your version of my own shit. And I just thought that was really interesting about this movie. More interesting I'll, than the yeah. meta script. I'll, I'll agree with you. I think the craft does hold up. And I think once I let go of being like, oh, right. To me, this is like horror comedy pretty much. Um, the, uh, I love the end of this movie when, um, when they're stabbing each other, which <laughs> it makes no sense that they're deciding to stab each other before they've taken care of like finishing the job that they're trying to do. But, um, no but I like that. Like, you get the sense that like they're they're about to like go like betray each other. There's just a nice tension in that scene when they're stabbing each other. When you're when he's like, "Give me the knife," and he's like, "No way, man! Like I don't trust you." And you're <laughs> like, "Oh shit! Like how's this gonna go?" And it doesn't go that way. But I like that they. It kind of does go that way though. He, he no, they defend each other. They don't like kill each other. Yeah, but that's the whole point well, of Steve the, stabs Billy, him a bunch. Yeah. But yeah, as I say, Billy <laughs> does some significant damage to yeah. Stu in that scene. <laughs> like skeet, 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 and Stu <laughs> basically. Um, I mean, they basically are part of the whole. The whole movie is that way, where the whole movie is like Wes Craven working with the writer. I assume in some way to be like, we have to flip everything. Everything just has to seem like you're going one direction and you're not. And then we're going to do a bunch of that and then not. And when I realized it was Wes Craven again, because I totally forgot he directed it. I was like, Oh, I really do appreciate someone. Cause I was thinking to myself, someone who knows horror is doing this and doing it really well. So I agree back with, with Sprague's thing about the, the craft holding up definitely. And that's why they did it at the end. Does it remake sense as a movie? I don't know. Well, just to just to clarify real quick, and I didn't it blew my mind a little bit when I researched this earlier. Skeet Ulrich's real name is Brian Ray Trout. That's a great name. He chose the Bra- name Skeet Ulrich. He chose Skeet, so that <laughs> makes me, that means we can make fun of him. Yeah, and then the writer from Fast and the Furious. Yeah, the writer from Fast and the Furious was like, "That's a great name." 
Skeet Ulrich right. sounds totally made up. Like a like a it's on a fake ID that he had or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, my name's Skeet. I'm 35. Uh, I work at the post office. Brian Ray Trout's not a bad name, you know. That's not a respectable name. Yeah. Why? Why'd you have sounds to go like and a, Skeet it up? Sounds like a country music star. It really does. Yeah. Was Rose McGowan wearing a baby tee? Was that from Claire's too, Sarah? Because that. I, where's that from? Because I'm like... I was wrong. Claire's was the jewelry store. Delia's was the mail order blog with all the baby tees. Right, 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 right. Thank you. Baby tees and uh, pigtails. And there you have the 90s. And jinkos. Oh, and jinkos. But I wouldn't be surprised if Rose McGowan consulted on her wardrobe. It was very meticulous. And then Nev Campbell just looked like dreary. So I... Wow. I Stop it. I, Nev just, Campbell looked amazing in this movie. She was <laughs> bad shirt. I loved but her sweaters. You know, they were sensible. Before I, I she looked sad. Like I know her mom died, but sensible. But she didn't have. Girl. I know her mom died, but she Some didn't have to wear shoes. She didn't have to wear all her mom's clothes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> her mom was a big hoe. She, you know, she had some crazy clothes. Her mom was a way to make it weird. (laughs) She was was a slut bucket. Her mom was apparently (laughs) such a slut that it touched off a killing spree in this town. Everybody knew it. Yeah, it it was it was the foundational sin for a mass murder. That's how big of a slut (laughs) this woman was. Apparently, (laughs) she started the whole thing, man. She was so slutty. She was like <laughs> such a slut that she inspired two serial killers. Not even just there, sh- there should have been a scene where Rose McGowan was just like, like Sydney, like you know, like your mom was just a big hoe bag, just yeah. straight up. This <laughs> is like everybody knows this. Do you even know who your dad is? He's a hoe too. It's like we were. We tried to stab her, but it was like throwing a hot dog down a hallway. <laughs> It actually would have been funny if that speech came from Sydney's dad at the end of the movie. <laughs> the whole town had like real big little lies vibe, like like it was set in Monterey or something. I really felt like a not not a lot is very evergreen about this movie. Like the references in it are were clever at the time. Like even adding Clueless in, even like right. The- and a year after the movie, that movie came out was like very clever, but if, but it makes the movie feel really, really dated now. Or even mentioning Tori Spelling. Oh, or, yeah. Like, they have a sick Tori like, Spelling burn in this movie. But I thought it was a really nice, like, in the, like now that, uh, that, who's that producer? Ryan Murphy. Like, he makes these very, like, queer-centric, like, horror sensationalist, like, TV shows and movies now. I just feel like that as a genre comes from a legacy that also involves Scream a little bit because of the relate these like relationships of these characters, these like male characters who seem like that complexity of their own like being troubled teens and like them like having relationship with each other that was had like suppressed this like secret that was founded on violence and like violence against women was really queer adjacent, I thought in a lot of ways. Like in re-watching it, I got from watching the movie. Damn it, yeah, Sarah. No, it was, it's very like a like an appreciation for campiness too. No, I was gonna say, that was like far <laughs> far too intellectual no. an observation for this podcast. <laughs> There's a good moment that I think kind of I, I I noted this moment and I think it connects well to what Sarah said. Maybe I'm reading into it, but um, when when Billy and Sydney are hugging on the bed 
and she's like, maybe we can, you know, why can't my, why can't I live a Meg Ryan movie or a good porno? And they cut to his face and it looks really awkward. He's like very like stern faced and like cold looking while he's hugging her. And you're supposed to like in a, in a, in a normal movie, he would like raise the eyebrow or something and be like, what? I'm registering what you just said. Like, this means we're going to have sex. His face never changes. And they show us his face never changing. And you could easily use that to support and be like, he's actually not like lusting after her. He just, it's part of the game to him to steal the virginity of this girl. It's part of the setup. It's part of the game. It's not an erotic situation for him. And yeah. I think that kind of like, he doesn't even get like and, a, and woo, woo, you know, right. He doesn't, I, his, I, I, he doesn't gonna, react to that statement at all. Hubba, you kind of see him just pull back and without changing his face, he's like, he's basically like, does that mean what I think it means or whatever? But he doesn't react. If I was directing, he would have had steam come out of his ears. You know? And then after they had sex, there's that awkward shot of him sitting on the floor and she's on the bed. Like yeah, he and he says, wrong. are you all right? Yeah, like he like he just did something wrong. He looks like a, bo- a little boy. They also have sex in Stu's parents' bed. Yeah, and then the, but I thought the whole fake wait, wait, murder wait. of Is there Billy... a metaphor there I'm missing, or are you just saying it because it's Because it was anal. Well, at first <laughs> I thought it was Stu's bed. He like... He, but it's Stu's house. Like, on it, yeah. It's Stu's house. He's like, yeah. go up to my parents' bedroom. That's yeah. Why, you know, like then, that's what people did. The in deleted parties. scene is where he sniffs the sheets and it smells like stew. After I thought, yeah. I thought the whole, I thought the whole Billy fake murder was kind of a pointless scene. If there was a pointless scene in the movie, I'm like, you didn't, you didn't have to do the fake murder at that point because you're just the whole purpose is to try to pivot away from him as the killer, which at that point you're fairly certain he is. As the audience, everything they do to point away from him, just you're just like, oh yeah, it's it. Yeah, obviously, that's obviously why the cell him. phone drop is really important early in the movie because yeah. it, it it sets you up with the oh, this is too obvious. It can't be him now because they wouldn't have given us the cell phone drop early in the movie. Then I still thought it was pretty obvious, though. I don't know. Even when I first saw it, I thought it was pretty obvious. But yeah, you still, know what? It's still like was watching the only surprise. But right? it's like watching Memento again, I, right? Okay. Oh, I wanted to say that they had a delete. They had a deleted scene, right, um, where Sydney's father finally explains that she comes from a family of hoes and that she should be <laughs> proud of it, and that we're all in this together. And they were like, "We can't use this. We can't do it." So, I would have actually liked to see a little backstory, not just a smidge, on who the mother was, like. Just the tiniest bit. I know it probably, I know it doesn't really matter, but it just, they painted her and kept saying that she was a slut and a whore and a slut and a whore. And I'm like, give me like, I don't know, a, a, an old video cassette that, that like Sydney's watching of like her mother caring for her or something. Some like hidden camera footage of her doing the nasty with Liv Schreiber. <laughs> like, yeah, she was like, a whore, but she liked yeah. to eat cake too. <laughs> <laughs> We're a proud family of whores and cake eaters. So, the comments. I, so we do have some voice memos this week. Uh, one, Josh, is from your sister. First voice memo is from my sister. Sydney, spelled the same way, <laughs> who uh, we, all of us, admittedly uh, terrorized her when this movie came out. And it is obviously ingrained in her memory because... She was like, what, 13 when this movie came out? Yes, probably? yep, 
Yep. And we were a bunch of douchebag, like 16 year old, 17 year old. Uh-huh. <laughs> when this movie came out, I was 15. So that makes. All right. So I was probably 16. Solo was 17. I was 18. Yep. Eight, you were 18. Right. And Sid, was, Sid would have been like 13. I was exactly. 15. So, Dave, no, you were 16. In 96? Mm-hmm. Unless it came out in December of 96, I was 15. He's a youngin. Check your planetary charts. Don't you tell my brother how old he is? Sarah's really trying to think about how she can prove Dave wrong about his own age. And I, are and you she's birth, right. It's are you birthday explaining to me? <laughs> <laughs> Don't birthday explain no, Dave. Sorry. I just, I guess I forgot my age. Then I guess I was 14. I was like, <laughs> I was like your age. <laughs> you don't have to edit your birthday. <laughs> What's my age again? <laughs> What's my age again? Like I am always a year behind because it's December of 1980. Is that a so. Blink-182 joke? Is that what you yes. just made? I mean, I thought it was apropos with this Scream movie. The yeah. All right. Here's Sid and her comments. Sydney. The two-parter. So I guess you guys are talking about Scream. That movie really impacted my life. <laughs> um Besides the fact that everyone and their brother made fun of me because of my name. Um, So to address the main issue at hand about whether or not Scream sucks now. Well, it's been a a really long time since I've seen that movie. And from what I remember, it is so fantastically 90s. But... In all reality, I think it it has a pretty unique, at least for that time, it had a pretty unique storyline that, at least for me, was really surprising and enjoyable. And I don't think that that really goes away. Um, so, no, I don't think it sucks outside of the 90s aspect of it all. Say now, Sydney. So, Dave, guess, guess what, Dave? What? Scream came out December 18th, 1996. So you were 16. Oh! 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 From Greg, who is one of the hosts of a new podcast that we're hosting on our podcast network called Up In Your Ears Podcast Network. Um, And all those podcasts will be available on SoundCloud. And this is the first one we're going to be releasing. It's called Video High. uh, And we will play a trailer for that at the end of the episode. But this is Greg. He's one of the hosts. And he wanted to chime in about Scream and let us know whether he thinks it sucks now. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Hansen from the Video High podcast, as well as King Pizza Records. You posit, does Scream suck now? No. No, it doesn't. Uh, It's awesome. Uh, In 1996, when it came out, the horror genre was floundering. This movie was like a a shot in the arm, uh, revitalizing horror as like a major genre, um, specifically bringing back the slasher genre. And I think the, the way it does it is by taking its audience really seriously. Um, it, 
posits that its audience is smart and thoughtful and knowledgeable about the last 25 years of uh, horror history. Um, it writes really interesting, fun, like young, beautiful, weirdo characters, uh, all of whom could be the killer and none of whom you really want to see get killed. Uh, and again, sort of characterization is is usually the first thing that is thrown out the window in a horror movie. And the, the actors do a bang up job and the movie is funny. Uh, it's tense. It takes a ton of turns. Uh, and I think it holds up remarkably well, especially uh, next to the movies that copied it uh, that came out for them, you know, following 10 years. Um, also, Scream 2 does not suck, but Scream 3 does kind of suck. Thanks for having me. There's... Four of them. Did you guys know that? There's yeah, four. Yeah. There's four of them. Well, I just I'm gonna disagree. Soon to be a fifth. I'm going to disagree yeah. with Greg on it holding up now after we have now? had so much con- now. now. We've had so much conversation about it that I have to say I'm not get into it. Yeah, get in. Right. Get in there. Get All in right, there. Dave, let, let it go. Get loose. Let it flow. So I think. I've been trying to figure out how to rate these movies and and really in my own mind, why would I say something sucks now? And I'm just trying to make them as basic as possible. If I was by myself and I saw it on something, whether it's on cable or whether it was on streaming, would I, you know, watch it again? Like Goodfellas is on Netflix and every once in a while, I'm like, I'm just going to watch that for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I'm not saying it has to be a masterpiece. I have to say that I think Scream is a fun movie. I agree with Greg that it did change everything and it did revitalize the horror genre and it did do a lot of amazing things. I think the craft is very good in it. I think it's so (laughs) deliciously 90s that I wouldn't want to necessarily sit down and watch it again on my own. Like, I get it. I got it. It's there. It's wonderful. I do not think it's an onion. I do not think I'm peeling back layers every time I watch it. Um, but I'm going to say it does suck now. Oh, wow. Cause I won't go back and watch it. Like I'm not going to, that's not a movie that I'm like, Oh man, big trouble in China. I will always go back and watch. All right, Sarah, Sarah, you tell us, does it suck now? Oh, I definitely, (laughs) I definitely thought I was going to watch this again with an open mind because I told, I told like when you guys were doing this podcast that, I thought you should do scream because I thought it sucked now. Like for the same reason that Dave says, if it's on TV, I might watch that first part with Drew Barrymore because it is iconic as you guys were saying, but the rest of the movie is not good. It doesn't hold up. It's not, it gives itself way too much credit for being smart, for being cute, for being clever. I think it was really subconscious about revitalizing the horror genre like at that time. And I don't think it, I just don't think it really is still memorable in the way that it wanted itself to be when it came out in the mid nineties. I think its legacy is all these terrible sequels with the exception of maybe screen two, which everybody seems to think is really good, if not better than the first one. There were so many other good horror movies that came out after this. I don't think like and slasher films too, like the, that new Halloween that came out a few years ago, which was really good. I don't think, I don't think David that, Gordon Green directed that movie. David Gordon Green directed that. Brilliant. Movie. It was really good, and 
and it was still, it, it was referential, but it was also like very scary. And this movie's just like, it's just too cynical. It was written by a TV writer. If it was being made today, it would be just like a made for TV movie or like a Netflix movie that you'd maybe watch. Maybe you'd watch once. Um, I think it's hard to watch now knowing that Harvey Weinstein produced it. Uh, Are are we erasing all of Miramax because Harvey Weinstein? I I think some things, yes. Knowing how often producers like Harvey Weinstein got involved in the movie making and the casting process of movies like this. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, Rose McGowan now is so absolutely. Does it matter if it was Bob instead of Harvey or does that not matter at this point? I think it was both of them. It was both. It was, yeah. yeah. I think it was Bob and Harvey. And Bob enabled Harvey, so I guess it's just as bad. Yeah. And it's like a big, when they mentioned the Weinsteins and... Miramax. Miramax. When they mentioned Miramax, like this is like a big movie that, I think it was made for what, like $5 million in it. Like it's a movie. It made $120 million. For those reasons, I I can't watch it past those first 12 minutes. Yeah. Ever. I read that. So it was, does it, it suck now, Sarah? It does suck now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think Scream does not suck now. I think I think the script, I think I can criticize in a lot of the same ways that Dave and Sarah already mentioned. Um, the self-referential became so saturated into especially horror movies that it's like a cliche and it's hard to watch Scream without seeing it through that lens but at the time it wasn't a cliche but i know part of what we're doing is trying to say like all right but now does it suck and i still like it because i still think the performances are really good now i think david arquette is particularly charming i think matthew lillard is just to like it's it's easy to overact it's hard to overact so well like it's a nicholas cage in his prime level performance almost maybe not prime nicholas cage but like it's like a Really good secondary Nicolas Cage performance out of nowhere. Like I Wind Talkers, Wind Talkers, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I never saw Wind Talkers, but uh, I don't. Well, I mean, it's bonkers, is what I'm trying to say. It's nuts. Maybe every line reading is like so over the top. He's great, and I think I find I agree with Greg that I think a lot of the tension holds up and the humor hold, holds up. That like it's still a tense movie. I w- I know Mike, you were you seem to not be feeling any tension from the movie. There's a lot of scenes in this movie where I was like, even knowing exactly what was going to happen, like I was just enjoying being set up that I allowed myself to do it. And I think Scream does not suck. I think it's still really good. Yeah, I, I understand and respect the fact that we're supposed to be analyzing these movies from a current perspective, not. And like I always try to do, and what's the huge goal of this podcast is not be influenced by nostalgia. And that, um, it's tough for me personally to remove the nostalgia from the analysis because this movie, more than any of the ones we've done so far, is like a huge endorphin shot of nostalgia for me. Like I just love everything about the memories that this movie brings back for me. But if I had to even remove that, um, I, I, I'm straddling the fence. I agree with Mike that it's not necessarily a scary horror movie um, outside of maybe the first 10 minutes. And, but I also agree with Sprague that it's got some of the most awesome single character performances 
of the decade in these like random, you know, 90 minute character developments that they have. I'm certainly going to say that it doesn't suck now. I was ready to put this as my favorite movie that we've seen so far, but now being forced to like, Ooh. but now being forced yeah. to well, favorite and best of, are different. Favorite and best don't have to be the same. True. Um, but seeing as it's big trouble in little China and that's John Carpenter, just doing John Carpenter all over that movie and having some great character performances. I'm looking at it through the same lens for this movie. It's Wes Craven being like, yo, I'm motherfucking Wes Craven. I make horror movies. Bam, <laughs> here it is. And I'm going to have these awesome characters and I'm just going to do everything I do. Awesome. And at the same time, I'm going to make fun of myself doing it. You know what? I just talked myself back into it. This is the best movie I've seen so far. All right. Ooh, so does it Ooh. suck? It does not suck. It's <laughs> better than Big Trouble in Little China. It's the wow. best movie that I've seen. Uh, so far. I love it. Yes, we're really That's mixing not, it up. No, uh, that ain't happening. I'm gonna, not so, on my watch. I was, I don't know, maybe because um, <laughs> I was like in college by the time this movie came out. So like the whole kind of like teen movie thing. You were already <laughs> ironic. Yeah, I was already a little over it. Yeah. <laughs> he was mature. <laughs> So I, I was already, yeah, I was already a little over it. And Scream doesn't have that uh, sense of nostalgia as much for me because I wasn't in high school. We didn't all go see it together. I think I didn't even think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it after the fact. And I was like, oh, that was cool. I think at the time I was like, oh, that's a cool movie. But like going back, I, I think I thought it was when I watched it the other night, I thought it was funny and I, and I enjoyed the humor. But the horror, I think, was really lost on me beyond the first scene. Because I think the first scene is really scary. And then the rest of it, I don't know. It, it's kind of like Heather's, but not as good, if that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I could agree That's with that. It's a good comparison. Like, there's this, they're, they're teenagers doing serious things that are obviously going to hurt people, like murdering people. But it's funny. Like, I think the comedy is the one thing that has survived in this movie pretty well over the horror. So, I agree. Nobody <laughs> drinks bleach in this so, movie. So I'm going to say that... <laughs> I'm going to say that... Back to 2020. <laughs> so I'm going to say that Scream doesn't suck, but like just barely. Because one thing I'll say is it at the time it was... I do want to give it credit for being a product of its time. And and being sort of a bringing back the horror genre and all the things that it's known for and and, and legit Dave, did like, you just fart <laughs> no just fart, i Dave? is that I'm why you it? It. <laughs> no if i wait i'll show you a good i saw motion. your cheek come up a little bit i just wanted to mike was, sure. mike was, anyway, mike continue, was rounding mike. out his thoughts <laughs> oh man you, you interrupted my thought with a fart <laughs> actually i didn't because i muted it i didn't oh. fart i had meatloaf tonight can you guys good. believe Dave farted on, on the air? Muffled it. Put it We're in the Foley. We're live on air for literally hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> There's tens of followers that are going to be upset with how Would you want during out. his like thought and suddenly you just hear like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like nervous fart? Like the deep philosophical question. If you mute a, if you mute, if you mute a fart, does it happen? It still happens. Does it smell? <laughs> so I was a so major. It still happens. So let me let's Mike, go. Back. Does it, does it, Mike, does Scream suck now? So I'm going to say Scream does not suck now, but 
just barely. Yeah, but just just barely. Just the tip. Yeah, just <laughs> the tip of the knife. That's what that means, right? It's referring to the movie Scream. Just the yeah, tip. like when he just knife. Yeah. yeah. But the uh, the podcast that Mike was previewing is already out at like before we even recorded this episode. So in two weeks or three weeks when this episode actually comes out, it'll be long old news. So way to go, Mike. Mm. Sad. I'm editing that out, by the way, Josh. <laughs> well, let's get into the rankings. Let's get into the rankings because I think a lot right now we're kind of just like doing our own rank, our own personal rankings because it's kind of too hard to get all all of us to. to you bullied Solo. You were bullying Solo. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! You, you, Sprague, you bully me on my rankings. I want to make sure I'm clear on who the bully is here. No, no, Mike was bullying you into Mike was bullying you into into being part of the group when you didn't agree with it. Oh, I was true. just making fun of you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I could what just because I hate Beastmaster. I, I yeah, think like that where, is why. where where are we thinking that this um, film falls in the rankings for ourselves, like? Like I guess we're kind of saying, Big Trouble in Little China is still number one, and Mannequin. See, he's is doing still it again, high. guys. He's trying to make us all agree with his ranking. I, I, I just said, literally just said. Is that where we were? Like? Solo has a new number one, and so do you. You had you Big had Trouble in Little China. Now, it, look for all the reasons that I love Big Trouble in Little China for all like the quirky, like. John Carpentery, like over the top character performances and all the weird. I'm like, if I love that about that movie and I loved it more about Scream, then I have to make Scream number one. And now all of a sudden I said, right, it, so do your rankings. Do your rankings. So it's, so it's Scream, Big Trouble, um, Kroll, uh, Lost Boys. Uh, what was the one? Oh, Beastmaster. Robin Mannequin. Hood. Oh, fuck. Oh, Major we also League. saw Major League, which I would slide right in. <laughs> between uh, Kroll and Robin Hood. All right. <laughs> is that second base? <laughs> PG-13. Mannequin is still last. Yeah. The last is still Mannequin. It's still Dave, mannequin. I think, moved Mannequin above something, didn't you, Dave? Or was that a joke? No, I moved um, Major League above something. I can't remember what it was. Well, do you so tell us? <laughs> I can't remember all the movies we watched at this point. So Dude, there's there's been six. On, look on Spotify or whatever right now. Look at all our episodes. <laughs> Spot so Big Trouble, Little China, right? Mm-hmm. Um, still my number one for sure. Um, yeah. Crawl, Beastmaster, Robin Hood, Scream. I think I did Boss Boys. Lost Boys, Major League, Mannequin. Stop saying all of them or I can't say it. <laughs> so, Big Trouble, <laughs> Little China. <laughs> um, I think I went Lost Boys and then uh, Major League. And then I went um, Kroll. Then Beastmaster. And then I think it was maybe Mannequin at the end. So I'm going to put Scream definitely ahead of Beastmaster. So I think it's on fourth on my rankings. Okay. All right. All right there you go. All right. I go. Yeah. Thank you. 
There you go. Who the fuck? Who the fuck? Snoring during my shit, motherfucker. Farting. That was a fart. I'm watching you, motherfucker. Gotta get this knife in the crack of your ass. All right, right. Uh, I put Scream in the good movies. I have the I have a Lost Boys, uh, Big Trouble, and Major League in the top tier, not in that order. And then everything but Mannequin and Robin Hood in the middle, (laughs) and then Robin Hood, and then below the toilet tier is Mannequin because that movie fucking sucked. (laughs) It did. Now and now, actually, I'm not too far off from you, Josh, because I'm going. For me, it's Lost Boys, Big Trouble, Kroll, Major League, Beastmaster, uh... Oh, wait, I forgot to say Scream. Forrest Gump. Uh, Scream, I didn't say Scream either. Uh, Yeah, Scream is actually Major League for me, so (laughs) More importantly, why do you guys think so? Why do you guys think that Major League was the hardest movie to talk about of all these movies? Yeah, but we all we all generally liked Major League. Yeah, but but you know what? There's not a whole lot of like even within the world of Major League. There's not a whole lot of like, hey, let's dive deep into what yeah they're trying to do here. Like, it's hard to overanalyze a fucking sports movie. Yeah, and this movie, good or screen, good or bad, it gives you a lot because there's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of references in the whole thing, mm-hmm. even down to like the dumbest jokes where it's like the janitor's Freddy Krueger or whatever. <laughs> but it's like there's a whole bunch to peel away, and and Major League is just like, uh, you know, a baseball team, a bad news bears story with a baseball team, yeah. and it's just like a series of jokes and yeah. win the pennant or whatever. So what right. I'm trying to say is I'm sorry for the Major League episode, guys. All the listeners out there. <laughs> I enjoyed watching the movie. I, actually, I love the movie. I, I laughed I love out it. loud it just, at it. At... I just thought it was really interesting. We've had, we've had, yeah, I agree. We had, no, we had no problem. I'm sure you're doing a wonderful job, Mike. I just mean like, I feel like the energy level was harder to get up for for Major League, and I was just curious why because we all generally liked it. I fucking love that movie, but I agree. It's just like maybe like what did you say, Dave? Like, there's Major League has no onions to peel at all. Like Scream has like one or two layers. It might not be a lot there. But there's a few layers to peel back. Even Mannequin had some fucking layers to peel back and dissect what the hell was going on. But Major League, Major League just sets out to be a fun baseball movie. It is. It doesn't really make any stumbles along the way, and then it's over. And it's just kind of like, all right, like that was a it was a movie. Yeah, it's a very yeah. enjoyable, like fun. Like you see the preview of that movie, and it is that movie, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, what else can this? we do to it? It's it's a Randy Newman song. It's just he's like I'm singing about baseball and it's baseball and we're done. But Major League <laughs> isn't isn't um, it's not iconic in the way that Scream is. It's not it doesn't like change baseball movies like baseball movies going out of style. Then and then Major League comes along and changes the whole game, if you will. <laughs> but I mean, it's like right in the middle for me. It's like that in there. Right. It's like uh, I think maybe Scream is right after Major League, so it's like Lost Boys, uh, Big Trouble, um, uh, Crawl. No, no, maybe doesn't matter. Maybe, Who cares? All right, take us to the end. Crawl, Tell whatever. everybody where to find the podcast. So, thank you, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thanks for having me, guys.
having me on the podcast this this episode, uh, Sarah. Love you. <laughs> Love you too. Um, but go on any, every major platform. Remember that we are on the Up in Your Ears podcast network. That's on. We're Spotify. changing it any day now. <laughs> it's changing, and there's going to be lots of cool new podcasts. Uh, you can check out Video High, which is out now. And, uh, of course, our podcast and uh, a few more to come. So stay tuned for announcements. Email your voice memos to Productions at gmail.com. G-U-G-G-I-N-O, my last name, Productions. Uh, rate us highly if you feel like it or whatever. Behind you! Know. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening. Behind you. Turn around! Just turn around! <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to Does hey, It Hey, what's our know? next movie? Wow. Let's talk about Evil it now. Evil Dead 2. Now? Yeah, let's talk about what we're doing There's next. 0% chance that Evil Dead 2 sucks. I guess. Yeah. All right, class. Settle down. Everyone sit down and shut up. I'm putting on a movie. Don't you miss the days when your teacher was so hungover, they just threw out the lesson plan and put on a movie? Well, that's every day here at Video High. Our curriculum caters to those who love the least loved films in cinematic history. The idea that this movie has a coherent A plot, let alone a B or C plot, this movie's too stupid. And then they do, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> they wrote this. <laughs> like, good job, guys. <laughs> Join Casey Regan, Greg Hansen, Josh Roth, and myself, Jamie Kennedy, as we plumb the depths of video not-so-classics. This movie is sort of like a boner. It, like, is embarrassing to those who make it and offensive to those who see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whether we think it rules or is actually total junk, hijinks will ensue regardless. Who else's favorite character was the bartender pirate? The set was good. That was like a side character who had a lot of fun business. The fart joke was motivated. (laughs) Video High is your B-movie education. And ours. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to talk movies with you. The movie is rated PG-13. But I do not know who over the age of 13 <laughs> this is aimed at. Great question. I mean, we're coming to find out. Me. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's us. Welcome, Welcome to, to Video, Video High. Video High. Up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network.